Welcome to the Honest Postnatal Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Dow, a postnatal exercise specialist and a mum of two. This is a space where we talk about postnatal recovery and how it feels emotionally and physically. This can be a challenging time for any mum, but I'm here to give you hope whilst keeping it honest. So wherever you are, take a deep breath, settle in, let's get started. So today on the podcast, I'm sat here to go and speak to Rosie. Rosie, I came across from the birth tear support Facebook group that she set up. Um, So I'm going to speak to Rosie about this. And Rosie is a mum to two, I think two little girls, but you can correct. Yep, she's nodding. Yep, two little girls. (laughs) And is also, we were just discussing how I pronounce this, a naturopath as well. So we're going to talk lots about kind of nutrition. Um, and the effect it can have on your postnatal recovery. Rosie, is there anything you want to add to that introduction? Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Thank you, Natalie, yeah. for having me. Um, I'm really, really pleased to be here to talk about this. Good. I'm so pleased that we can do this. And it feels, for me, like such a, um, what's the word, like almost like a full circle, because obviously I found your birth tear support group when I had my third degree tear, and it was so helpful. And so to now be in a place where I am about to have my third child, but I've also started this podcast and be able to speak to you feels like a wonderful kind of full circle that I've gone the whole way around. So should we maybe jump straight into the birth tear support group that you started? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing that um, it's grown. As I, I mean, I never, looking back, because it's a long time ago now, so my firstborn just turned eight. Oh, wow. Um, and looking back, it, it it's, it's one of those times a funny thing, isn't it? Because it seems like a million years ago, but equally, some memories are just like yesterday. Um, but yeah, I started the group because I had nowhere to turn to. And I guess because of my profession, I I want to help people. Um, and and I guess once I came out of that initial fog, um, baby blues or whatever, whatever you want to call it, I um. I then kind of thought, well, actually, I want to set something up to help others as well, because this is really hard and really lonely. So I just turned to Facebook because that, that seemed like the, the easiest thing to do, I guess, at the time um, and set up a group. Just just I think it was it was 2016. So it must have been like six months postpartum or something. Um, and I, just set up, and I, I found actually um, the Internet was very much a pivotal kind of not like a pivotal, but like a clutch that I used early on and in, in a good way and a bad way, actually. Um, I often talk about Dr. Google being not very helpful most of the time, but there were some pockets of positivity on the internet. Um, and so I decided to, to make a place where it was specific for birth tears. So I set up um, birth tear support, what, what I called it. Um, I think I had a different name originally, um, but there was already one set up for fourth degree tears, I think. So I set one up for sort of third and fourth degree tears and it's it's it morphed over time and it's now for complicated second degree tears because they can be just as, you know, um damaging in some ways and third and fourth degree tears. And I think I think I've just got over five thousand members now, which which is which is mad. But that yeah, it's it's a great place for women all around the world to to share their stories in private and in confidence with other with other mums that really understand. 
You've you've definitely got five thousand followers because I actually went on there the other day just to have a little look. I often click back in and just see if there's mm-hmm. anything I can help with because I know a lot of women like to go on there and kind of leave a question, you know, so if they've just had a third degree tear or I think a common one seems to be if they're having a second child yeah. and they've had a tear and then they're asking for women's experiences to whether you've had another vaginal birth or if you had an elective c-section so I do pop back in quite a lot just to see if I can kind of give any advice it's definitely grown and it's definitely such a good resource and like I said it was so helpful for me are you happy to talk a little bit about your experience in terms of actually the birth and then setting it up I think I believe you had a third degree tear did you yeah actually because obviously we were planning to do this podcast I I went back and I've written two birth stories one of them's ah. like a, one of them's a private one that I just had on my computer, which I hadn't actually opened up since 2016 when I wrote wow. it. Um, okay. And then I and then I wrote one um, in 2020, so post my second birth, um, okay. in a much in a much more kind of um, therapeutic, helpful perspective. And yeah. actually, I, I wrote something down here, which I thought I'd share um, now. So this is what I wrote in 2016, and it was the end the end of the birth story. Okay. Um, just a couple of sentences. It says, the midwife stressed me and made me do things I never wanted to. The most surprising thing was that I never thought I'd feel so vulnerable during labour and would need my hand held, but I did, and yet no one did hold my hand, and I didn't ask them to. Now I feel angry that my future pregnancies and births are jeopardised from my from my injuries. So that's, that was kind of how I felt at the end, and I can, reading it back, there was so much anger and fear, I guess, even though I was out of that initial sort of I'd say the first three or four months was really hard but I think looking back that just shows there was still that sort of anger and confusion because I think the first a first time birth for a mum is like massive whatever outcome you have even if you have the perfect birth it's still you're a mum for the first time it's 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 a rite of passage it's you can't really explain it to anybody um and and you throw in an actual bit of trauma or injury it's it's really difficult, isn't it? Um, but in, t- in terms of my first birth, I guess I was an unusual case. I think <laughs> because <laughs> because I was it, firstly I was young, so I fell pregnant at twenty three. Okay, and, um, oh, you were young, yeah, yeah. And because I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was twenty, okay. and I met met my now husband um, around then, and we kind of just thought he's a bit older than me we kind of thought we're never going to be together it might take me like five years or something to conceive we don't know so let's just see what happens but it was like four months later so it was all a lot earlier than we thought um <laughs> but you know um and my, my pregnancy was really smooth um a bit of sickness at the beginning like most people um and because of because of my um you know I'm a naturopath and nutritional therapist at the time actually I was just graduating so I was just finishing okay. up when I was pregnant so I was really keen on doing everything as natural as possible I did the pregnancy yoga I did the perineal s- stretching okay. I knew about tears I knew about severe tears but looking back I, I think there was a naivety around it almost like a uh a not cocky but I think I had so much faith in in nature and that women are supposed to be able to birth. I was in that kind of, I still think it's there, actually. There's a kind of, there is a bit of a, a group of practitioners slash women that still kind of think ev- every birth is poss- can possibly be amazing. But I think we have to remember, you know, that even hundreds and 
thousands of years ago, women's you know, mums still died during childbirth, even if it was in a completely safe environment. Do you know what I mean? So it happens. Yes. There's risks. Yeah. There's always risks. And I think I was in this bit of a bubble and looking back anyway. So I did all the right things and had reflexology and um and I went to 41 weeks, I think it was, and they were talking about wanting to break um do a sweep and things. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, no, nah, it'd be fine. And and my acupuncturist, I saw her and the next day, that night, my uh contraction started. And it was like, you know, standard, middle of the night, got up, had breakfast, I was okay. Um and I actually had planned NHS home birth. Okay. Um which again with <laughs> with hindsight, which is a great thing, got a little bit pushed into actually. Um because where I live when you get when you fall pregnant you have to self-refer yourself to the maternity hospital right and and there's a little tick box online that says where do you want a birth <laughs> bearing in mind i'm 23 no idea about anything about birth i just put i don't know um because it gave you an option of like home birth midwife suite central delivery suite i said i don't know so the next thing i know like a few days later i get called by the nhs home birth team and they're mm-hmm. they're kind of very friendly and they're like giving me all the statistics of if you give birth in hospital you have this chance of having a c-section it was a little bit kind of pushy i'd say um and i went along and met them they had like an open evening and i thought my husband was a little bit more worried and concerned rosie Um, sorry the connection just broke up then so it's going a little bit are you okay just to go back so you just said the home birth team rang you oh can you hear me now yes yeah oh okay um, yeah, the home birth team rang me and um, they were kind of a little bit pushy. They give me statistics of if you if you give you know if you give birth in hospital, you have a higher chance of complications. You know, cease, as in medical, you know, medical intervention. Yes. Sorry, not, yeah. not complications. And I went along to that open evening, and it sounded really good. And my husband was a little bit more like, mm, "You sure?" And, my, and the grandparents <laughs> were kind of like, mm, "You know, it's a risk." Um, so fast forward to when I was in labour, I called my midwife team, the midwife I'd seen all through pregnancy, because the one thing for me was that continuity of care. Yes, that that's I what a lot of people in, spoke about. Yeah, because yeah. I'm someone that has to really trust someone. Now, unfortunately, in the day I went to labour, my midwife was on another birth. So I didn't see her that whole, the whole time of my, my labour, which was about, wasn't actually that long. It was about 20 hours. Um, so I had this other, these other people I'd never met and I didn't really like them. So that's the whole thing already looking back was, you know, when you, we, we understand about stress and how that makes everything worse for the birth process. Um, and that needing to feel safe, isn't it? Yeah. And they, they were quite, I mean, I have these little snippets of memories. Obviously I try and kind of not open that book very often, but I will today. Uh, so who knows what what will come out, but, um, yeah, I, I was, I was, they were quite insistent on internal examinations, which okay. I, I found, I remember lying on my sofa and I found them extremely painful. So I think what I underestimated was the pain, actually. Yeah. Um, and look, and again, looking back in hindsight, uh, if you fast forward to postpartum when I had physio care, I was diagnosed with hypertonic pelvic floor, which they believe I had lo- lifelong. So yeah. looking back, that pain I was having was probably my hypertonic pelvic floor. Yeah. Um, and probably why, potentially why I tore actually um but yeah I just remember being in so much I mean the pain was like a stabbing in my cervix and even the midwife was like you're having quite strong contractions and and towards the end they were really long and really strong and really frequent 
and that went on for hours. Um, and my waters didn't break, so they were pushing on my cervix, which made it really painful. But the dilation actually happened reasonably quick um, for a first-time birth. And it, and it got until my waters broke last minute. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember which order it was. They were concerned because my temperature went up okay. by half a degree, not very much. And my naturopathic mind was going, well, it's probably because I'm dehydrated. Because yeah. I was. I couldn't drink without vomiting. If I was in hospital, they probably would have put me on a drip, I reckon. But um, I really struggled to get anything down because of the pain. Um, so they, they called the ambulance. And this was like 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Um, they called the ambulance because she wasn't um, seemed to be coming. And then my waters broke as soon as the ambulance got there. Okay. And everything changed then. I remember this was where it all went pitong, really, because I had these men in my house, these paramedics in my kitchen, I could hear them stomping around with like low voices, you know. Um, midwife changed, suddenly went from being all kind of nice and caring to kind of like, right, I'm going to be a mean midwife now and you want to get this baby out. Oh, so God. the whole tone changed and that obviously made me tighter. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Cortisol went up um, and she wouldn't come out. I could see her head, but she wasn't coming out. So like, right, like half an hour later, let's get into the ambulance you know, with her in my, like, vaginal canal, basically. Yeah. And as soon as I walked outside, I felt her coming out. I was like, she's coming out, she's coming out. She's like, they're like, getting, you have to get, in, you have to go now, because they were worried about, because um, when my waters broke, there was meconium in them. Okay. And they were worried about aspiration. So when I got into the ambulance, I had then hold her in for the 20-minute journey to hospital. Oh, my goodness. And Rosa. so I, I think, obviously, mums who've given birth will know how hard that is. But for those that haven't, yes. I always describe it as trying to hold in diarrhea or something. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a compulsion. <laughs> it's, it's really hard, but I did it. And by the time I got to the, I just remember having this image of being um, put on a bed and, you know, pushed through the maternity unit and I was screaming. Um, I don't know why. I think I was just out of frustration more than anything. Yeah. And I remember all these young midwives just looking at me like I was insane. Like, I just oh remember this image of these faces looking at me. And I got into um, the central delivery suite. I got into a room with a different midwife. Um, and she said, I remember just wanting, my natural instinct was to get up on the bed. The back was inclined. And I kind of put my, I was on my knees, put my hands up the top of where you know, the shoulders go. So mm -hmm. I was inclined on my all fours. And she, she said to me, Julie, Julie said to me, um, can you go on your back? And I said, and, you know, I'm, I'm 22 hours into this. You know how exhausted you are. I said, and yeah. I, I said, why? She said, we need to monitor you. And I was like, nothing's going wrong here. Like, why, what's happening? And I was just so exhausted. I just yeah, did what she said, which is one of my biggest regrets, actually. Um, and I went on my back. And she actually, within about five minutes, I got her out. Um, and actually, it all seemed fine. The head came out fine. I was told to wait. Next contraction, I pushed her out. Perfect APGAR score. It was all okay. Um, midwives went off. Then the one midwife was waiting for the afterbirth, and it was all seemed fine. But then she was concerned, and I could tell she was a bit concerned. So I was bleeding. Okay, yeah. And she gave me um, what they give you to stop. I can't remember what it's called now. The, the hormone to stop you bleeding. And then. Yeah. Um, it kept bleeding, not prof not crazy profusely, but enough to, for her to be concerned. So she said, I'm going to get the doctor in just to check you. I think I just, I'm, I'm not sure what's causing the bleed. And I was just thinking, oh God, I've got a hemorrhage or something. Um, and then she came in and 
she gave, they gave me some gas in there and, and she felt, she basically did me, gave me a rectal check, which I'm really grateful for, actually. Really I was going to say, yeah, because so many people don't get that. And I know it's something that a lot of women think, you know, you've just given birth, like the last thing you want is mm. literally someone's finger in your bottom. But actually probably me and you know the research shows that if you get a rectal exam it's so much better because you can catch so much more of the tear or if it's gone into a fistula so and actually going back I know it's not that long but eight years I feel like that's quite advanced that they did that so it's no I'm really do you know what I'm a big advocate of having the anal check because and I talk about it openly because I think the big, I mean, and I'm sure you'll agree, the biggest issue we get from severe tears is when they're missed. Yeah, completely. Um, yeah. And 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 they are missed, unfortunately. Yeah. But the one way to not miss them is to have that checked on. Yeah. Um. So I had it checked and they said, yeah. And actually they, they thought it was worse than it was. She said, oh, I think this is a fourth degree tear. Oh, gosh. And okay. I knew what that was. So then I, I just, I went from kind of like elation, having a baby, it's done, to then utter dread. Yeah, of course. Um, and shock. And the next thing I know, the anaesthetist's in there. And I've I've never had any hospital care in my life. Like, so this is all new to me. Like, some people have had operations before. I've had nothing. So, you know, anaesthetist there. Um, what, you know, do you want to spine all this? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's just yeah. whatever you think's best, I'll sign. And then I'm whipped upstairs. And this is like 3 a.m. now. Um, and I remember lying down. I mean, I remember actually sitting, having to sit was the hardest thing because I was sitting. And by, by this time, the pain was kicking in because yeah, of course. obviously when everything's stretched, you're kind of numbed a bit, aren't you? But it was all sort of, all the pain was, all the nerves were kind of coming back. And I had to sit on my, sit on my tail. It was awful and have the spinal done. And then once I was lying down, um, you know, I had like four doctors trying to, stitch me up and I just remember I actually remember feeling reasonably chilled at this point and I think because the radio was on they seemed quite chilled they knew what they were doing and then the doctor came up to me kind of pulled her face mask down and said um your turn's a bit trickier than we thought so we're gonna have to call in um the consultant he's at home god <laughs> you know on call so I have to wait 20 minutes or something he arrives and he was amazing, actually. And actually, I'm glad that they got, you know, the best guy in to do it. So, and actually, I did have a really good repair um, after all that. Um, but I just remember lying in, um, you know, like the, um, what do they call it now? The ward you kind of are in for an hour while they watch you. Oh, they like recovery. Is it recovery yeah. ward? Yeah. yeah. And this, this sticks out to me. So I got given by the midwife that delivered me. She seemed a bit in shock too, actually. And actually later on, I learned that was her first severe tear that she got under yeah, her care. Okay. She wasn't young though. So maybe it doesn't happen very often in that hospital. I don't know. But um, she came up to me with an A4 like NHS printout on perineal tears. And she just said, all she said to me was, I'm really sorry, um, but you know, 60% of women after a severe tear by 12 months will feel back to normal. And I remember thinking, that's really bad. It's a really yes. bad statistic. I was like, what about 40%? Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's a long time. So I remember thinking, is that it? And there was no like aftercare advice, you know, apart from, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know, lying down or, you know, not straining. But that was it. That was it. That was all I was given. Um, and it was from there on, it was just devastation, really, for the next few months. And and when the baby blues kick in and your milk kicks in like a few days later, that kind of went, my mood went straight. And actually in hindsight, I probably did have postpartum depression, but I managed to kind of come out of that 
myself and I, I and I, I've written a whole blog post on my healing journey because there was so much involved in in you know physically and mentally and what mm. what helped me with that and part of it was it was cathartic to start the birth care group and uh, and I'm not going to lie I mean I'll be honest and say part of that was for me as well of course as, yeah. as other mums um and and yeah I mean that group's amazing now because it's, it's pretty much self-sufficient because obviously I can't check 50 posts a day but yeah. if if someone I, I have I have strict entry to be able to answer questions so I know they're, they're legit but if someone does something wrong people will flag it up so, so you know the, oh, the mums on there are amazing and I'll just like either talk to them or block them if it's a spam or something so yeah <laughs> and how do you how so just like I'm trying to process everything from the birth and the tear so how did the tear affect you mentally and physically in that postnatal period? So kind of what symptoms did you have emotionally and physically from the tear? Physically, I had a lot of um, heaviness. It's probably okay. the main one, actually. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a bit I haven't actually brought up. Was, was, so about two, week, two or three weeks, um, there was this window where I started to feel a bit better. As in... Um, the pain feeling like I could actually walk because I remember I couldn't walk anywhere like I, I remember walking to the post the, the lamp post outside our house which was probably about 15 meters and I did that seven days postpartum um I remember I remember you know I could barely walk before then I couldn't even walk up and down the stairs and um so heaviness was a big one and because I've always been so fit and able it was a real shock to me like I just felt like been hit by a truck you know yeah. so I'd never been like that before so it was it was a real shock um to feel that way but it, but there was a little window I was starting to feel a bit better and then I had this real heaviness um and that's when I went to the GP and she said yeah you've, you've probably got a prolapse but it's she was a very blase about it I mean she was really kind and sympathetic but she said to me you know it's very common um at, at this stage because it is at two weeks postpartum yeah um and she said, you know, let's just see how you get on. But me being an anxious type, I didn't know then I was an anxious type, but looking back, I am a bit mm -hmm. of an anxious type. I then went to Dr. Google and yeah. that really did not help. I think that'd be one of my biggest pieces of advice. And I say yes. this to clients for yeah. nutritional therapy, not not even about birth necessarily, but just don't use Google for health related things. And I'm sure doctors would agree with me on that one. Um, but I just went down a real rabbit hole. Um, and my husband would attest to that because he would be like, get off your phone. What are you reading? And yeah. I'll be reading about rectovaginal fistulas. I'll be reading about people that, um, you know, have, you know, all the worst case scenarios, basically. Yeah. And it was just not helping for mental health. And I think if that happened to me 20 years ago and phones weren't around, I probably would have been a bit more naive to it. And potentially that would have helped in, in the short term. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, the Internet's double-edged sword, isn't it? It's completely we... yes mm. I feel the same like I when I had my prolapse I went down a massive google spiral and it was horrendous and mm. you do get absolute worst case scenarios and it's very depressing but on the flip side you've got your birth test support group that you find on Facebook and nowadays you've got Instagram where there's like a massive support community for anyone that's got mm. severe tears and prolapse and really good information but I say it to all my clients as well. I say, just don't Google prolapse. Like whatever you do, 
don't put those words into Google, don't spiral downwards, you know, just step away. Um, yeah, so it's a very difficult one because you're searching for information, you're searching for answers. I think you're searching for trying to find other people that have got the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you want to connect, but at the same time, those connections can can make it worse. And that kind of, I don't want to say information because half the time it's not good information, but yeah, mm-hmm. you're searching for something and it is just like, it's like Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? Going down and down darker into, yeah. that, into that hole. Yeah. Yeah, so that so that was I mean that was one of the reasons why I ended up making the the group because I wanted somewhere that was good information. Um I wouldn't say it's misinformation, but people do generally go onto the internet to vent. Yes. And yeah. so you you will find worst case scenarios and some people do are living those lives and that's that's really sad and really difficult for a lot of people. Um I was one of the lucky ones who uh, you know eventually I did I wouldn't say I'm, I'm 100%. Like, there's definitely you know, injuries or injuries. They'll always yeah. be there. There'll always be things that I have to do to manage it. Um, and and sometimes that sometimes sneaks up on me and I get a little bit down about it. Um, and I do, and I know a lot of people feel the same way and they worry about the future and what that means yes. for menopause and things yeah. like that. But I try not to think about it. And I know from nutritional therapy and naturopathy that there's a hell of a lot we can do to aid the body and heal the body so I kind of you have to remember that and kind of have that positive mentality that okay things you know tissue integrity does decline with age but there's a lot we can do to to help that and buffer that yeah and what did you do then so what did you do with your knowledge to kind of heal the third degree tear and the tissue did you use nutrition and did you use all of that knowledge that you had to try and heal yeah definitely so my issue uh, early on I mean one of my biggest issues always been that sluggish bowel and okay. so when I had when I had the tear that obviously was a real concern and then with the prolapse you don't want yeah. to ever push no. or strain so my biggest thing was avoiding constipation which I've always been a bit prone to so I did take um a good dose of magnesium and I think early on psyllium husk actually I took early okay. on um for a good while um, there's a good product that used to be about the kind of combined um, different herbs and things for fibre, but it doesn't exist anymore, actually. But um, I took that for a long time. And, and the Squatty Potty, which I know you're a fan yeah. of, I still do that now. I teach my girls to, to go using that as well. And yes. I wish I knew that when I was young. <laughs> oh, um, I wish they would teach it in schools. I mean, I know now they've got the pelvic health that they're starting to roll out. But yeah, mm-hmm. I teach my boys the same. They they both know to use to get their feet on it, to move, mm-hmm. to poo, you know, to breathe, to relax and everything. But I think, yeah, as soon as you've had a pelvic floor injury, it makes you very adamant that no one else will suffer from one and especially your own children, you just think. And I think it's so important, isn't it, in childhood that actually we talk about good bowel habits and we talk about, mm-hmm. you know, your pelvic floor and everything because I suppose like probably both of us, our generation and previous generations, it was so hush hush. You know, going mm-hmm. to the toilet was like quite a secret thing and even things like, you know, going for an emergency wee before you went out, you know, that we yeah. now know is like not the or best squatting thing to, to do. wee. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I feel like there were so many things that weren't great that now if we can try and educate the next generation, especially girls, I think it's yeah, it's so crucial, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. And it, and it isn't until you go through something like this, suddenly people tell you stories, don't they? And yeah. Obviously, I won't say names because this is going to go public, but 
you know, in my even in my family, there were stories that cropped up, and I thought we could have told me, or at least, you know, but you yeah. didn't want to tell people. There's this, there's there's quite often this. Um, I think it's false to be honest, because in 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 my in my Facebook group, the amount of times I've read, if I knew, oh, if only yeah. I knew, if only I knew, and I, yeah. And I'm a massive fan of knowledge is power. Um, but there's also this ignorance is bliss kind of yeah. saying, and I, I do think that's true as well. So it's a really difficult balance to get really without scaring people. Um, but also you want to empower them and give them the knowledge. And I'm not going to lie, it's a difficult balance to do, but I think we have to be realistic about um, for new mums and you know new expectant mums about the risks because, and actually I got quite cross because with my second, um, when I went in um, for my pre-op because I had an elective section, oh, you had an they got as well. okay. They got me to sign a form, um, obviously. Um, but one bit really got me actually from the form because it talked a bit. It had a little paragraph on vaginal births and it said the risks and things of um, vaginal births and it said severe tear one to two percent, and that's just not true. No, it's six um, percent, isn't it? Plus, yeah. yeah. Because I was a lay representative for the UAC2 project, mm-hmm. um, which has been going on the last few years with um, uh, the Royal College of Midwives and the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And I, I was just there as kind of a, as a mum representative who's had a severe tear. And the statistics are closer to 6 to 8% yeah. of first-time mums. Um, and so that that annoyed me a bit, actually. Well, it got me quite cross. I was actually going to write to the to, um, hospital, which I probably should do still just to update that yeah definitely. <laughs> um, because you know we need to know and have the statistics right for people to make informed choices yeah um and yeah and unfortunately it is tears are increasing and um they think it's a mixture of diagnosis is getting better but they do actually think the occurrence is increasing too yeah i agree i just want to go back to something you just said then oh about having choosing a plan c-section just Mm -hmm. because I get obviously I chose a plan c-section as well for the second and I've got one next week for the third one but it's probably one of the questions I get asked the most is you know how after surgery tear prolapse did you choose to have a vaginal birth or plan c-section so would you talk a little bit about how you made that choice Mm -hmm. because I think so many people are interested in that decision yeah, it's it's the biggest question that comes up in, in the group, I think. Um, it was really hard, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was a really tough decision. Um, I give the same advice as well, how, what I'd give a client. Um, and my approach to nutritional therapy, actually, is it's very personalised. It has to You have to look at all the risk factors for that person, um, what they went through the first time, how they why they went through what they went through what caused them to have medical intervention or what caused them to have a tear can that be changed in the next birth um and and what injuries have they got and what symptoms have they got currently and you know so many factors mm-hmm. um i from i got different opinions from lots of different people um the first thing i did actually was request my gp to have um a gynae appointment Okay. Because I and actually this is something my mum recommended because she I mean, maternity care has changed massively over the years, so I'm sure as you're aware. Mm-hmm. And my mum was shocked that we never had a pelvic examination antenatally, yeah. um, prenatally. And she said, Oh, well, that was normal back in the eighties and the seventies and um and I guess they stopped that because they thought it was unnecessary, but maybe it wasn't. Um <gasps> Well going back because... to the whole hypertonic pelvic floor because 
I think, you know, if for me, that's a really big thing. If you can have a physio appointment before you give birth, you can find out if you've got mm. a hypertonic pelvic floor. And exactly as you said, if you have, you know, fine, you can either work with the physio to work how to release it during birth and learn the correct techniques, or you decide that actually you can't release it before the birth and therefore you have a planned C-section because trying to give birth with a hypertonic pelvic floor exactly you're much more likely to have an instrumental birth with severe tears so Mm -hmm. I think women would benefit so much but obviously the whole prenatal postnatal in the UK I mean it's so underfunded and there's Uh, so much that needs doing I feel like that's probably the last thing that will ever occur but it would be fantastic just to have one appointment yeah it would be amazing that would that's the ideal and in France I think they have postnatal physio don't they yeah um I just yeah an assessment of pelvic yeah so basically I contacted my um well I con- yeah the GP put me through to um um a gynae here where I am and actually by the time I turned up because I, I requested this before while I was trying to conceive my second yeah. um hopefully before I fell pregnant but actually by the time I saw her I was about six weeks pregnant okay and um she said to me actually it was a really nice appointment because I'd never seen a gynae before um as in like an appointment you know an appointment yeah. with a gynae and she said the first thing she said to me was um I just want to say well done for birthing a nine and a half pound baby yeah. <laughs> and actually that was really nice to hear yeah it was just really it was actually quite it really it really, it really I really felt that and it was really nice to hear someone say kind of like it was hard <laughs> yeah, and you did really well and a pat on the back sort of thing. So that was nice of her to say. Um, and when she examined me, she actually said, cause I asked her straight, I said, what do you recommend? What do you think I yeah. should do? And she said, well, you've healed well, but my concern is you've got a short perineum. Right. Yes. And I had no idea that was a thing. Yeah. Um, and, um, but that makes sense, but I didn't really know that they varied in size. So I asked her, I said, okay, What's the average length of a perineum? For those yeah. listening, if you don't know what that is, it's the area between your vagina and your anus. And the average length is about three centimetres. Mm-hmm. I had no clue about this. Um, well, no one tells you. And again, it's, it's never brought up, is it? And again, it's not. It's another check that they could also do yeah, whilst pregnant. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know, again, to say, you know, potentially you've got a shorter one, therefore you might be more likely to tear him. But again, you know, it's not done but yes of course you wouldn't have known mm-hmm. so <laughs> so it was it was short um and she said oh, it's probably you know, tears can make it shorter and I said no I think yeah. it's always been a bit like it's always been quite short but I, I didn't know that was not you know unusual not unusual but not the average length yeah and um and she said because of that because you have big babies she recommended a section okay um I saw a couple of physios over the years um and they were a bit more like vaginal birth would probably be okay because all that stretching has been done, which is probably true because generally second births are better, generally, mm. not always. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really hard decision. I didn't really make my decision to probably after the second, after the 20 week scan. Um, and I think what, what did it for me, um, as well as what the gynae said, about my perineum and the weight of my babies but what really got me was I kind of thought worst case scenario like if I if if I birthed and then tore again or went through Mm -hmm. all that again and my I just I just don't think I could be a good mum to Mm -hmm. then two children 
to yeah. go through all that. So I just felt like people have sections every day. The risks are quite low. I didn't look up the actual risk at the time. And I just thought, I just want control damage, I think was yes. probably what was going through my head, rather yeah. than you never know if the baby's going to have its arm up here. Yeah. And then that's all it takes. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah. And, and there are some people that have joined our group that had okay births first time, then tore severely in their second birth. So it does happen. It's mm-hmm. unusual, but it does happen. And looking back, do I regret it? I don't regret it. I do sometimes wonder. I do sometimes wonder and I go, and actually my my youngest daughter, she's a different shape to her sister. <laughs> she's narrower. So okay. I do think part well, of me been think, easier. <laughs> I think a part of me thinks it probably would have been all right, but you just don't know how they come out, do you? It's the one thing so, you can't control. You cannot yeah. control birth. Yeah. I mean, my grandma's a good example. So she had five children. Oh, wow. And her hardest birth was the youngest. And I know some people argue, and I've read, th- read this around physiotherapy, that it's because when your core muscles are so relaxed that that doesn't actually um, put the baby in the right position, which is interesting, ah, actually. Okay. Because obviously fifth baby, more relaxed abdominals. And yeah. um, he, he came out proper breach. And right. she had to birth him breach, and she said it was so hard, and she thought it was gonna, he was going to kill her, you know. But luckily, it was a fifth baby in a way, not a first baby. Yeah, and that was in the sixties. But yeah, it made me think, like, well, you just never know, do you? <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm glad, and it actually went really smoothly. I was nervous. I was definitely nervous about having like a needle in my spine again. That was my main thing. I was worried about actually, um, and I tried to make it as natural as possible as well and where I am in the pool they were really good so Brilliant. I requested like like you know immediate skin on skin as, as, as soon as possible which they did um I also requested to have my um so you get given IV antibiotics yeah as, as I'm sure you know yeah c-section and I request the usual for some reason they give it to you before the baby's out yeah and I asked could you put it once she's out could you put it in after because they, they give you the IV antibiotics to prevent infection in the womb. yeah um, so I thought it was nothing to do with the baby. I don't want her getting the antibiotics and, you know, with her microbiome and everything. So they did that and that was fine. So they were really good. And um, and it was really relaxing and a totally different, totally different experience. Um, but again, there's a little niggle that I think, oh, could I have birthed her like, mm. you know, and it would have been fine. But I'm happy with the decision, definitely. Yeah. I think it's human nature to kind of wonder sometimes, isn't it? Oh, completely. And I like still to this day, even though I've got my elective C-section booked for next week and I've had, you know, the second one and I loved it. There's still part of me that thinks like, oh, could, you know, could I? Like, could I have? Mm. And I just think as well, and I think similar to you, I was a yoga teacher and I came from that background of thinking I was going to have the most natural birth and it's all the, you know, the yoga prep and everything. And I think, I think it is very inherent in women to go into birth, obviously wanting completely natural. You know, there's not many first time mums that go in saying, yeah, I definitely want a planned elective C-section. So I think it it's almost quite a hard thing to give up in a sense. And I think it can sometimes do like a little bit of a grieving process as well, kind of because you kind of feel like you've lost an experience you somehow felt. I don't want to say you deserve because that makes it sound wrong, mm-hmm. but that, that you were going to have and like you did mm-hmm. all the right thing. And so I think for a lot of us, there's still definitely that little like bit of doubt, like, well, if I did this differently this time and 
but again it's just you, you you're right i think the one thing with and i'm going to say natural in this sense because you know going into spontaneous natural labor is you cannot plan it whereas an elective c-section you really can plan and you can control what's going to happen i think for a lot of women taking back some of that control mm-hmm. mentally is quite helpful as well isn't it mm-hmm. how did it affect your second like your postnatal recovery then so how was that postnatal recovery after the c-section it was a lot easier i think as a second time mum it makes it easier anyway yeah you know the drill right you know yeah. you know you know you're gonna get your milk in you know your boobs are gonna go massive you know you're gonna have the baby blues you know it's gonna be carnage you kind of <laughs> you've done all that and that in itself makes it a lot easier um it was painful like obviously in the scar incision um for about two or three weeks but I remember by four weeks I was like running around town pretty much with a pram and I couldn't believe it yeah because I felt I didn't feel like that with the tear probably until like three months or like plus. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it definitely, I, th- I think it affected, in terms of my relationship with my children, I do sometimes wonder how has that affected anything. And I don't know, you do, it does make you think, like in terms of um, what babies can take in. We don't really know, do we? But yeah. I do wonder... Um, whether that that's affected them who knows because you kind of have that like I had that kind of immediate bond with my second with the first it took a few weeks Mm. um but I think that's again that's common um but yeah you asked me earlier about um I kind of got sidetracked you asked me about what did I do to heal first time yeah because of your expertise so like what did you do nutrition wise Mm. what you know what what was in your toolbox that you knew to do to kind of help you heal from that trauma well, before I had the tear, I prepared sort of generic tissue healing things. So I knew I was going to have some sort of trauma to my tissues yeah. having having a birth. So I had I had my vitamin C ready for tissue health, um, probiotics. Okay, definitely. I mean, I was taking probiotics all through pregnancy, and there's so much evidence now to show how important that is for the baby's health. Okay, um, and and because I had antibiotics for my for the tear yeah I took I took that I took probiotics for a lot I mean I generally take probiotics anyway but I did take a higher dose okay. um and my home homeopathy was really helpful actually I have a homeopath okay. that I see I'm not a homeopath but I have a homeopath I see and she gave me remedies to help um just with the healing of the tissues yeah um which which I use both times um but the going forward like past the earlier days of of postpartum kind of looking to heal more the prolapse and um the scar tissue i think i'm a big fan of soft tissue massage um so breaking down scar tissues i had to do a lot of that actually um because another thing that's really common on the group is people saying that sex is painful yeah um and there's so much scar tissue that that occurs so breaking that down with daily massage was was a big one um did and that you did see help. A, a women's health physio rosie like to yeah, get you I, to do that the first time or did you just yeah. learn it yourself i mean my sister helped me quite a bit at the time she was a sports physio she's okay. actually re- She's actually retrained. She's now a women's health physio. Oh, one, wonderful. Another one. one yeah, <laughs> one of the reasons I apparently triggered that with her. Because um, she's she did help me a bit at the time as much as she could um, eight years ago. But yeah, I, there, was, there weren't many near me at the time, actually, yes. that were good. Because I did see someone, but she was a... I don't want to poo-poo physios, but you do get really good ones and you get more kind of generic ones. Um, and the, the person I was recommended was all the way over in Kent. 
and she was amazing actually um she really took me under her wing and and I, I back then I think when I was young but I am somebody that needs a lot of encouragement and a lot of reassurance generally in my personal life and she was a really nice physio and she was the first one that kind of indicated hyper like the hypertonicity and and then I found someone more locally in Southampton it's about 45 minutes from me and she was amazing and she really ha- she was like game changer for me okay. and that's when I got my wand if anyone knows what that is it's yes. about internal release work which changed my life they are um, yeah they're amazing aren't they mm, I remember the first time she gave me treatment with that I sobbed I absolutely sobbed and she she told she recommended a book that was called something about like uh, trauma and heat and like how your muscles hold trauma and I've always known that as a naturopath like I'm a big believer in we manifest our emotions manifest physically and we hold trauma in our bodies and and when she first gave me the internal release it was the same pain I had during labor right in that cervix like that stabbing pain that I had and it just brought everything back and I just cried and she was so nice she just said just let it out this is so common this happens all the time um trauma she's she was she was so sure she's like trauma your body knows it it holds it yeah and um yeah and I haven't looked back after then really I I still use it now like every every few weeks because I still have still have I definitely have this pelvic susceptibility I guess and I think I probably had it pre pre pre-pregnancies um but it's just pregnancies made it a lot more tricky so it's still something I have to navigate um I also did I look back in the early days, I also did hyperpressives. Oh, you did as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. which are great because diastasis was a big problem for me. Okay. Um, I have a real big tummy gap. And actually, it's probably taken me until very recently to close that, especially after a C-section because they cut all yeah. through that. Like, you know, they cut through the linear alga, don't they? And So that was a problem for me. Um, and, and you found the then, hyperpressives beneficial for that mm, as well? Then. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. For the prolapse, for the, for the tummy gap. Um, and then emotionally, I did have hypnotherapy, actually. Um, I'm trying to think when. I think my daughter must have been about one, when I felt kind of robust enough to to okay, face durable. that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was a, a few hypnotherapy sessions. And it did really um, just make me kind of put the birth at peace. Just kind of, not not like suppress it, but it, I kind of can look at it objectively. Yeah. Very rarely does it catch me out. It does sometimes, like random, completely randomly. And I yeah. guess people say that that happens with grief as well, doesn't it? It just catches triggers, you off guard, isn't it? Yeah, mm. you just never know what's going to trigger you. And it might seem like a really strange thing, but I'm sure if we kind of analysed it, you could probably find the root of it and think, "Oh, that's what triggered it." But yeah, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not I'm not too bad. I can watch like a birth scene in a movie or something, but it can be just. I don't know. Sometimes when I'm talking about it, someone asks me in like a social place and it just catches me off guard and I'm not yeah. prepared so I can get a bit teary or something. But yeah, it doesn't happen very often. But the hypnotherapy definitely lay, laid all those major kind of anger, guilt, resentment. And actually, I had a really nice moment um, when I, I went into hospital for reduced movements, my second. And the midwife that was there was Julie. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> the one that delivered my hey, first Julie. <laughs> and I was just looking at her and she was like you know dealing with my tummy yeah um and it was all fine with the baby but I said you probably don't remember me <laughs> but I had my first baby with you and I had to 
quite a bad time. I had this had a severe tear, and she remembered me. Oh wow! And she went, oh yeah. She said, and she remembered. And she went, do you know what? You're my only severe tear like person I've had. And we had this long chat. I can't remember the ins and outs, but I just remember it being really healing and really cathartic to actually see her again Good, because I'd, yeah. I had held quite a lot of resentment towards her. Yeah, of course. Um, I didn't really realise until I saw her actually how much that was still in me. And I, we had a chat and she said to me, do you know what, if you were my daughter, I'd, tell you to, I'd say have an election. And so that was another opinion that kind of like, you know, sealed the deal. I had already sort of decided by then, but it kind of put a stamp on it. You know? Yeah. Um, but it was it was nice to see her again and just realise she's just a human yeah. that, that tried to do her best. And actually yeah. at the end of the day, 99% of healthcare providers are just trying to do their best. Oh, yeah. And sometimes they make the wrong call or, you know, it happens. It's not like they're maliciously trying to hurt people. So it was it was it was nice to see her again. Yeah. I think that's really interesting and I think it's a really good point because I think especially at the moment with the NHS under so much strain and maternity services that it's trying to remember when stuff does go wrong and it you know at the moment it can go wrong a lot yeah it's not malicious people but it's more the system and Mm -hmm. the bureaucracy you know and the implementation of kind of the rules at the hospital and what needs to be followed and the lack of staff but I think Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to when you've had a traumatic birth and there was a person that played a role in that birth it's very difficult to not kind of hold them semi-responsible mm-hmm. as well isn't it but I mean I think that's mm-hmm. wonderful that you were able to actually bump into her and to have that conversation probably break down a few of those memories maybe from the birth as well yeah I mean I've met a few kind of senior midwives over the years um and a lot of them will say that severe tears shouldn't ever happen mm-hmm. they kind of do say it's mismanagement but then I have heard some people say it's, it just sometimes does happen I think in my case, I got a bit unlucky. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't think it helped with the you know, pushing, the coach pushing, yeah. and then holding in, and then having yeah, to call my back. Yeah. I think for me, they were the major ones. I, I do wonder, like, oh, if I was in the midwife suite, who knows? And actually, I think this is why it's really important. And I, and I wish, my hope and dreams are to have a better prenatal assessment. So I wish that they kind of did did the pelvic examination. Maybe they asked you how much you weighed when you were born. Yes. Because I was three weeks early and I was eight and a half pounds. Yeah. And or ask you how big your husband is. Like it amazes me that they don't, you know. I know people that have had real not necessarily tears, but have had real hard births and there's like a foot difference between them and their partner. Yeah. Why I mean, why aren't these asked? You know, it's such simple tick box questions. But I think it's the genetic thing as well that fascinates me because obviously again yeah I was never asked and then when I look back at my history I was 10 pounds my mum was 10 pounds and a half she was forceps my nan was forceps Mm -hmm. you know so it's like forceps run in the family because we seem to have big babies they get stuck and it's like actually had we someone discussed that with me it might have been a bit more of like a oh so maybe forceps might get used during this birth okay here are the risks like knowing them beforehand post you know rather than being 30 hours into a labour and you know signing mm-hmm. a waiver to say okay fine do whatever um yeah but again there's just so much that could be done you know prenatally 
there are some good things happening though out there. Um, when I went when I went to the OAC two project um, launch event, there was a lot of people right from around the country that are doing a lot of good work. There's yeah. pelvic, there's peri, peri, um, there's perineal clinics popping up around the country, and um, and even one one doctor told me that they're researching a different kind of instrument, which this is really exciting for me. Yeah. So they've they've looked into like like basically it's like, so obviously not a plastic bag but then they're, they're looking at a material that isn't metal right. so it's not going to have that damage on the tissues um and it's much softer and so far it's had a real good success rate so i'm really pleased to hear that because you know forceps are so oh. medieval almost aren't they so like, why medieval yeah why haven't they got something else now um so i'm glad that's being looked at and yeah it's funny like i think i think I think it's hard not to kind of look back and go shoulda, woulda, coulda. But I, but if I could go back, I do wonder whether. And this is funny because from a naturopath saying this, but I do wonder whether, um, for me with my hypertonicity, wondering whether if I actually had um, an epidural, I think actually that has its place sometimes yeah. because what that does um, is actually relaxes everything. And for me that could have actually been what I needed yeah. because I have that kind of, my muscles are doing this, yeah. right? So for something just to relax them actually could have been what I needed. And I'm not advocating it. I'm definitely not advocating it um, generically because it, it does increase the chance of instrumental deliveries and everything. But it just goes to show that everyone is different. And, yeah. you know, you can't just say this way of birthing is the way for everyone. Which is what I say to everyone about nutrition. There's no one way of eating. <laughs> you know, everyone, everyone's different. I think maybe that's a really good point to to finish up on is that everyone is different. Every birth is different. Every postnatal recovery is different as well. Mm. Going maybe a little bit against that everyone is different, but is there any advice you would give, generic advice, you know, for mm-hmm. women who've had maybe a tear, who are in this postnatal period? Um any resources you want to recommend or anything advice-wise you'd like to give them? I think avoiding Google. Yeah. Asking for help is yes. a massive one. And I think mums and women especially just find that really hard to do. But most, a lot of people do want to help if you ask them. And I found that when in the older years, when you have older kids and you, you, you're struggling a bit and you, yeah. you say to a mum, actually, can you help, can you pick up my kids or could you have them for a play date? And actually most of the time they're like, yeah, of course I'll help. And Asking for help is a big one, um, whether it's from a friend, family, or even a healthcare practitioner. Um, just, I think, patience, having the patience, and it, and and this goes across the board for lots of different health problems, but it takes time. You know, we grew a baby for nine months. We then have to expect at least nine months recovery, yeah. if not longer with if you've had an injury. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't feel myself until about 22 months which is when I when I decided to start trying for another one it took that long so it's it's really being gentle on yourself nourishing yourself as well as the baby you know having good nutrition cooking from scratch if you can asking people to cook you from you yeah I always say to people for new mums I say don't buy a thousand pound pram yeah get a second hand 200 pound pram yeah and spend 800 pounds on you know decent food or someone to cook for you or yeah. a cleaner and yes. you know, that money could go a long way just to you know look after yourself um and you know that fourth trimester that I'm sure you know about and 
just just resting as much as possible and rest nowadays in our modern society is just not appreciated whatsoever we all trudge on we take medications you know not going to be ill we're not going to rest and rest in itself is very healing Mm. it's very healing hydration um and and just not panicking i think is just going into those spirals of doom is what i call them is it's easily done in those early days but i think it's helped if you stay away from from phones, social media, Google, just be around people and things that make you happy. Get outside, you know, all these all these things would be definitely helpful. I, I'd like to make some shout outs actually for things that are please, please. some little signposting, which I'm sure yeah. you've you know them. So Maysick obviously are yeah. the charity for, for birth tests and they set up around the same time I, I set the group up actually. The biggest thing I can take away from them is their helpline, a 24-hour helpline, which I wish I had at the time. So that's really great. Um, M-A-S-I-C. Um, um, obviously, like Helen, when mums don't jump, she does. She has yeah. amazing resources for prolapse. Um, Caroline over in the US has just opened up the Solace Foundation, which is for oh, severe yes. tearing over there. And she's she's trying to help out our friends across the, across the pond. Um for any maternity staff, NHS maternity staff listening, if, if you ever get hold of this podcast, uh-huh. um, the OAC2 project, if you look it up, that's a really great package to help reduce tearing in, in a healthcare environment in the maternity hospitals. And it's it's a really great thing to introduce to those units, it's something they can use that statistically does help reduce tears. Um, and just a shout out to some physios. I didn't know you know them, Claire Bourne Physio. Yeah, she's um, amazing. Yeah, um, um, Emma Physio, Mum UK, um, and and yeah, I just had some statistics. I've already said one of them about the birth uh, occurrence, but one in three pelvic floor, one in three women have pelvic floor disorders. It's really common, and it's not a taboo. It's nothing to be scared of. We just have to get talking about it because we've got generations of women that haven't talked about it, don't we? And, and it's it's and it is being talked about way more now. And I I, I love that because even when I've when I, this, I went through all this eight years ago, it wasn't. So we've come a long way in almost a decade, which is which is really good, really good. And Rosie, please mention your Facebook group as well so people can find that. Oh, yeah. So if you search birth tear support, it will come up. Um, and you have to answer all four questions to get in, <laughs> just, just because some people, some people don't. But it's there to keep the group safe. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your Instagram account as well, if you're happy for people to reach out to you. Yeah, so my my work one's Rosie underscore naturopath. I also have a birth tear support one as well, um, which I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not that active on, but I do keep an eye on it for messages. And I'm always, my, my inbox is always open any time of day. I'm always telling people, I tell my friends that and they laugh at me. And I know, seriously, if you ever got a problem, <laughs> just like, call, call me, send me a message. I'm, I'm always like to help people. You know, we both do. We're in that industry, aren't we? Yeah, but you definitely have. You've really helped. Thank you so much, Rosie, for taking the time and to having shared your stories so openly and honestly. I think it would have massively helped a lot of women listening. So thank you so much, Rosie. I'll put everything in the show notes and it's been wonderful to talk to you. Well, thank you for having me, Natalie, and good luck for next week. I'll thank be you. Of you. <laughs> thank you. If you've enjoyed listening to the Honest Postnatal Podcast today, please leave a review and hit the subscribe button. This way we can reach more women with honest postnatal stories.
And if you'd like to message me, you can find me on Instagram at honestyogaldn.com.